You'll be turning back to Romans chapter 8. I want to look at what's been called the golden chain of redemption this morning. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read from verses 18 to 30, and then we're just going to focus in on verses 29 and 30. But it's in this section, so putting it in context, the Lord's trying to to comfort us in our present sufferings and give us strength and security, and so these things He's told us in this section that we're about to get toward the end of. He says in verse 18 of chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Thus far God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, these things are high. We need Your help. Not just to simply understand them in in, in the way that we're able, but to apply them, to love them, to live in the light of your truth about your love for us. So help us, Lord, to know that you're above us, that in many ways you and your ways are incomprehensible to us, and yet you have revealed what we need in your word to dwell securely in you in the midst of the storm as we walk these days in this fallen world. 
So help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it as your word in the power of the Spirit. To submit to it. To embrace it. Therefore embrace you. And the truths that you are revealing about yourself to us. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your holy word. We ask for it and trust for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard of safe rooms. A safe room is a fortified room in a house that you can run into and and lock yourself in to be safe in in case of a home invasion, in case of storms, in case of all sorts of danger that might be presenting themselves in the moment. You go into this safe room and you lock the door and then you have confidence that you are safe from the danger that is outside. Today I want to give you a theological safe room. I want to give you a safe room for your soul. And the cool thing about this safe room is it's not one you just run into every once in a while. You can actually live in this safe room. You can dwell in this safe room. You can hide your soul in this safe room in the midst of the storms. Even as you're walking through the storm, you can be in this safe room. But you're going to have to trust higher than you. You're going to have to trust outside of yourself. You're going to have to trust, like you do with the Trinity, some things that God reveals in His words that we can grasp and hold on to, but that we cannot fully comprehend and work out. But I want to help you today have this theological safe room. And I'll tell you from the get-go, many people fight against this. Many people forfeit their peace because they won't embrace this. I just went ahead and titled it Predestined for Glory. We are going to talk about predestination. We are not Presbyterians, not all of us anyway. Some of us are. We're going to look at the golden chain of redemption. And look at me. Here's what I want you to do. Buckle up your seatbelts. And leave them buckled because we're about to get to Romans 9, not too far. This is kind of a sort of a whetting our appetites for these doctrines. We started on it last week talking about God's sovereignty. And then we're going to apply His sovereignty today to our redemption so that we can dwell in safety. So let this be good preparation for Romans 9. But focus in and just listen. When we studied the doctrines of grace, this was our question. Not what do I feel. Not whether or not I like it. Not whether or not I fully understand it. What does the Word say? That's our question. What does the Word say? We want to embrace everything that the Word says. And that's what we'll try to do with Romans 8, 29, and 30 this morning. Here's my main point. Something you all yearn for, and it's here for you if you'll embrace it. Christian, and yes, I'm speaking to believers this morning when I make these promises. Christian, you were loved in eternity past. You are loved in the present. And you will be loved perfectly forever. You were loved in eternity past. You are loved in the present. And you will be loved perfectly forever even 
in the midst of these storms. Number one, you were loved in eternity past. Look at verse 29. We're flowing out of verse 28. Here's what, listen, look, at, look up at me. God did not start loving you when you came to faith in Jesus. Oh, your soul wants to embrace that, doesn't it? Stop fighting against it. God did not start loving you when you came to faith. Look at that very first little word in verse 29, 4. So what this does is connects us up to verse 28 and, and previous. It, it's going to expand. We're, in verses 29 and 30, we're going to expand what we saw at the end of verse 28. See, we talked about God's sovereignty in general in verse 28 when we said we saw that he, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not all things are good, but they, He works them together for good. God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And so we're going to break out now what it means that we are called according to His purpose. It's kind of, we're really just going to define a few words this morning and seek to, seek to apply them. But look at verse 29. For those whom He foreknew. Stop. The foundation of the whole chain that we're looking at is that one little word foreknew. We have to grasp what this word means in its context and then flow out of that toward the rest of what's here for this, taint, this chain. It's, it's foundational that we understand what this means in this context for us and for our souls. So what does it... You know, often when you want to define something, what you need to do is go the way of negation first. What is this not? What does this not mean? Well, God's not a fortune teller. God doesn't look into the future and learn anything and base His decisions on what He learned. This is not teaching a tunnel of time theology. This is not saying that God looked down through the tunnel of time and He saw what you would do, so He based His decisions on it. Why is it not a tunnel of time theology? Well, I've already said one thing. God never learns anything. God doesn't look to see what's going to happen. God knows everything that's going to happen because He's decreed it before the foundation of the world, yet not violating the will of the creature. And you've heard us talk about that previously. I won't go into it. Yes, we're responsible. Yes, we make choices. All of that. But God doesn't ever learn anything. And even if it was what He did. See, this is where we bring, and we've been studying the attributes of God lately, and we've studied the, the doctrines of grace lately. We, we bring all of our theology into every discussion of what might be going on down through here. So let me ask you, if God just left us to ourselves, how many would He see believing? Why? Total depravity. What the Bible calls, we are before Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are alive to sin and dead to God. We, we might tip Him and be religious and maybe be very legalistic, but our hearts are in our own way and we're not in submission to God. Jesus said the one who loves darkness hates the light and will not come into it. 
In John 3.19, if you're taking and following, if you're taking notes, you can go back and read that. I believe Jesus. If we were left to ourselves, there wouldn't be anything to see but sin. There wouldn't be any submission to God. God would never look down through the tunnel of time and say, oh, he's going to believe and she's going to believe and that one's going to believe, so I'm going to choose them. It's just not how it works. He's not a fortune teller. This doesn't mean he's just looking down to see what's going to happen. Look at it. It does not say he foresaw, but he foreknew. He foreknew what? He foreknew people, those whom he foreknew. See, we're not dealing with events, things that, events that he foreknew would happen, but people that he foreknew. So what it is not teaching is tunnel of time theology. Um, I'll, I can talk more with any of you if you want to talk about that. What it does mean, here, now listen to me. This is going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. It means to know ahead of time. To know ahead of time. And the fundamental definition in that uh, definition is the word no. What does it mean that God knows us? The true meaning of foreknowledge is to choose to love beforehand, to choose to be in an intimate relationship. For God to know us is to be intimately involved in our way. Think about when it says Adam knew his wife and Cain was born. Well, y'all can explain it to your children, but that don't mean he just knew about her. See, there was, there was some intimacy there that produced a child. In the Old Testament, we could go through verse after verse after verse after verse that shows us that for God to know us means He's in intimate relationship with us. The Old Testament meaning of know is intimacy. So foreknowledge in this context means to choose to love beforehand, to choose to have an intimate relationship with. Now listen to me. When this word has God as the subject which it does, it means to enter into a relationship before. To choose or to determine before. Those whom God foreknew. Foreknowledge here refers to God's previous choice to especially love certain people. And my question is, will you let God be God? Are you willing to worship a God who's truly God? A God who confuses you sometimes. A God who doesn't have to explain everything in detail, mainly because you couldn't get it if He did. He's so much higher than you. If you only have a God you can understand, guess who's God? You. And there is a God, but it's not you. And I'm fighting for your comfort and peace and joy and security to try to stretch you outside of yourself and believe in things that you already do this anyway. You believe in the Trinity and none of you can fully explain that to me. God is sovereign. 
over everything, verse 28, including salvation. And we'll see that as we move forward. God's, that when God it says He foreknew us, it means that He foreknew us. He previously set His love upon us. God set His covenant love on us before the foundation of the world. And it wasn't based on what you did. We'll see that when we get into Romans 9 and other places. We saw it in the, remember the memory verse this morning. Not based on our own works, but on His own purpose and grace. 2 Timothy 1.9 Ephesians 1.4, we'll read the context later. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That's the first spiritual blessing that He mentions. Go back and the verse that got me when I so, I mean, I fought against the doctrines of God's sovereignty and then I was reading my Bible and I came in Acts chapter 13 to verse 48. All those who were appointed to eternal life believed. You know what it says in the Greek? All those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Didn't say they believed first and they were appointed. Didn't say he looked down a tunnel of time to see they believe. Says they were appointed. Will you let God be God? Will you believe His Word when you understand it and when you don't? Or when you can fully comprehend it and when you can't? Because God foreknowing us right here is before the foundation of the world. It means He set His covenant love on us before the foundation of the world. Number two. Look at this. That word everybody fusses against and don't realize it's in the Bible. I don't believe in predestination. Well, you better because it's in the Word. Look, look at this. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. What does that mean? Now, we, we're kind of familiar with this one. But it means to predetermine, to decide beforehand. And in the New Testament, it means God decreeing from eternity to foreordain, to appoint beforehand. Predestination means the destination is determined before the journey begins. It means God foreordained everything that comes to pass, yet without being the author of sin or violating the will of the creature or taking away second causes. Summary from chapter 3 of Confessions, more than one. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined or predetermined. What did He predetermine them to be? Well, Stephen Lawson says this. He says, not only has God predestined the salvation of all those whom He foreknew, and we'll see that as we move through the chain. There's none missing. God has also predestined the means by which they would be saved. Not only has God predestined the end, but He's predestined all the means to accomplish that end. So yes, He's predestined you to life, but He's also predestined that exact day when you heard the gospel and it finally made sense and you turned and you trusted Christ. God pre- foreknew those whom He foreknew Remember, these are, we are the ones that are called according to His purpose, and we'll get back to that word called in a minute. 
Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to do what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, He predestined to to not only begin, but to finish their salvation. He predestined us to be conformed. Listen, so far I'm pretty much just reading the Bible. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed into the image of Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's a whole tribe of people. There's a whole group, a mass of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language that were foreknown before the foundation of the world and given to the Son. That's why He came to redeem them. And He says, in order that He might be the firstborn. We'll come back to that later. But the, notice the parallelism here. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's, when that process is complete, that's glorification, right? Now look at the end of verse 30. That same, there's the word. He, those He justified, He glorified. He finishes the work. So we're going to open this up even more as we get to what happens in time. But notice so, so what we've got here. God previously determined the destiny of those whom He foreknew. Called, justified. Glorified. See, before there was time, God foreknew and predestined. And that plan of redemption that He worked out in eternity past, He works out in time through His Son. God the Father chose a people and gave those people to His Son. His Son as mediator comes to live for those people, die for those people, be raised for those people, reign for those people, and come back for those people again. God promises. God chose. God will finish the work that He's begun. He never starts something that He doesn't finish. There's a lot of false faith out there. There's a lot of presumption. I mean, read the parable of the soils. There's only one true heart and one true faith in that parable. But those who truly know God were loved before the foundation of the world, were foreknown and were predestined. You coming to faith was not your idea. Oh, come on. Are you going to own that with me? I fought for it. I fought against it. I threw books at people when I was trying to not understand God's sovereignty. I literally did that. I was rough. I threw a Bible at a guy and said, did God preordain that? And he ducked and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I'm not mad. I'm intense, okay? I am fighting for your soul this morning. To the extent that you rest your hope in you, you are going to be miserable. And you have no safe room because you know the fluctuation of your own heart. You know you're prone to wonder. You'll feel good when times are good and crappy when they're not. But if you're rested in God, then you can walk through the darkest storms of this world in hope and in faith. Maybe through tears, but in faith. Because you know that same God's working all things together for the good. Well, God previously determined the destiny of those whom He foreknew, called, justified, and glorified. So let's look at it. You are not only loved in eternity past, you are loved in the present. Verse 30. As He opens up 
this discussion, you notice he mentions predestination again. We've dealt with foreknowledge, and we're, we're going to get into the details of how he works it out in time. What he has predestined, he does this. Who, in who, whom he has predestined, he does this in their life. Look at it. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Now, this is not like we call our children sometimes, and maybe they're upstairs, come here and they don't come there. That never happens with y'all, I'm sure. You were never that child that did that either and acted like you didn't hear. And you're never the one playing the video game and just pretending you don't hear. This, this called, look, this is, a, this is an effective call. Look on down in the verse, those whom he called, he justified. This call brings people to faith. So uh, we talked about this a little bit last, last time, so I'll, I'll try to move uh, faster today. But this is what's known by theologians as the effective call or the effectual call, right? The general call that goes out, the one us calling our kids from upstairs, like the general call goes out when we preach the gospel. And we, we plead with people to turn and trust with Christ. We preach the gospel and we call people to come to faith. The effectual call is the Spirit taking that gospel and actually working in the hearts of people so that they are born again and they turn and trust Jesus. You repent and have faith because you've been born again, not in order to be born again. I love Billy Graham, but that was a bad book, How to Be Born Again. Because born again comes before the repentance and faith. Because it's God's work. Look at it. God's the one who calls. All, all those whom He predestined, He also called. This is God's, we talked about last week, God's effectually summoning those whom He foreknew into a relationship with Him through the gospel. See, the gospel is a must. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Why is it the power of God? It's the message through which the Spirit works to bring life to those who were foreknown, who were predestined, and therefore who are called. We are called of the Father to the Son by the Spirit through the Word. And it's effectual. See, Christ, why did He come? Why did He come? To redeem all those who were given to him before the foundation of the world. Read John chapter 17. Read Jesus' prayer. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me out of the world. He came to be an effective mediator. He came to actually save those he was sent to save. That's why his name is God saves. Yeshua. Joshua. That's why the angel said to name him that. The gospel goes forth, which is Christ lived a perfect life under his own law. He, as the God-man, he came at exactly right time and he kept every one of God's commandments in thought, word, and deed. He was perfectly righteous, the spotless lamb without blemish, pictured in the Old Testament. He was pure and deserved blessing, yet he came to take our guilt upon himself as that sacrificial lamb. Pictured again in the Old Testament sacrifices. He died, the scripture says, he died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. 
For God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that we should argue over the gospel and know that whosoever believes into Him shall not perish, which is what we all deserve, but have everlasting life. If you're not in Jesus Christ this morning, you're not right before God. You're not ready to stand before Him in judgment and you will do that someday. His resurrection proves it. Right? You're going to stand before Him someday and give an account for your life. Are you ready for that? See, the free gift of God, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you will trust Him, He will have you. If you will trust Him, He's at work in you. Trust Him this morning. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But when we're talking about calling here, those whom He predestined, He also called. This is what we call, like I said, the effectual calling. And I'll give you a catechism question if you want to memorize it and think about it and look at the references. But number 31 says, what is effectual calling? That's this kind of calling. Look at the definition. Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery. Convincing us that we need a Savior, right? Enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ. We see that the Scripture presents that Christ is that Savior. And renewing our wills. He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. In other words, God's Spirit takes that gospel and gives us life such that suddenly we understand we're a sinner who needs a Savior. And we understand that Christ is that Savior. And by His grace, we turn and trust in Jesus as our Savior. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone this morning? That's weak, but okay. I know that doesn't, that's no indicator of how many are trusting Jesus. See, we're born again through the gospel so that we turn and trust in Christ. That's what this calling is. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined. And those whom He predestined, He called. And it's effective call. And we know that by the next phrase. Look at the next phrase. Most of those whom He called, He justified. Almost all of those whom He called, He justified. No, it just blanket statements, meaning all. Those, the ones that He called, He justified. If He called them, He justified them. Because He's working out His plan of redemption. He's saving His people, the ones He foreknew and predestined. And the point about this is not that you might worry about it or wonder if you're elect or fuss with people over the doctrine of election. The point of all this is that you might rest your soul in God to know that His salvation, He is salvation. He's the cause of your salvation. And therefore you can rest in His grace. But look what it says here. Those whom He called, He justified. And listen, I know some of us struggle today in our Twitter generation and we don't want to read and we don't want to learn. But these are Bible words and we need to learn them and you need to know what it means to be justified. It doesn't mean you're right when you're in an argument. I mean, it can mean that. But this particular use of justified is Godward. That God declares you righteous 
on the basis of Christ and His righteousness. That God calling you to faith, through faith you're united to Christ. You are cleansed from your sin through faith in Jesus. You are clothed in His righteousness and adopted into the family of God. Your record of sin before the judgment bar of God was obliterated on the cross and His record of perfect righteousness was credited to you if you're trusting in Jesus. So that God can look at, we sang it, look at Him and pardon me. And see, we gave you a catechism question. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning because we we looked at it in chapters 3 through 5 and you can go back and listen to those sermons. What is justification? Justification is an act, not a work. It's boom, it's punctilio. It's an act of God's free grace. Wherein? Look what He does. He pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Have you received Christ as your Savior? Are you trusting in Jesus? Have you come to that moment when you were convicted of your sins and you knew you had a desperate situation before God and gloriously someone or somehow or you're reading the Bible, you see that Christ has provided that salvation and it comes to you as a free gift. And so you've turned and trusted in Jesus. Rejoice in that. Rest in that. And know that God worked that in you through His gospel. It's a free salvation to Jew and Gentile, and that's the whole world, to, to Paul. But he says this in Romans three twenty three and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no exceptions to that. None of us have kept His law in thought, word, and deed from cradle to grave. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All deserve condemnation if you want to insert that. But look at verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ came to bring salvation to His people. All those whom were predestined were called and those who were called were justified and looked at the end of it and those who He justified, He glorified. All those whom He justified, He glorified. Look at that. Glorification is the finishing of the process. When we're glorified, we're like Jesus. We're set free. No more sin. If He has justified you, He will glorify you. Now, we are called, we have a responsibility to examine ourselves to see if our we have true faith, right? To make our calling and therefore election, that's Scripture, sure. But the good news is, the work He begins, He finishes. And this glorification, which is if you look back up in 29, is talking about he, he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. Same thing, we, we opened that up, and now we're seeing glorified again. Everyone, everyone that He justified, He glorified. Listen, this will help you with this common rash of people who say they once were Christians and now they're not. What they found out is that they didn't have a true faith. That they were still all about themselves. So in some way, form, or fashion, God didn't make them happy. So they're kind of kicking it to the curb. But this, verses like this will show you that they were never justified. John says they went out from us because they were not among us. 
All those He justified, He glorified. This glorification, we don't have sanctification mentioned, but it's wrapped up in here because we know that verses show us that this glorified, this glorification begins in time and it's finished at the, work, at the, at the return of Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the work of His grace, who is the Spirit. So right now we're being transformed. And, and another category, theological category, we're being sanctified. And someday we will be fully sanctified or glorified. And it's going to be way more glorious than you can imagine. To be set free from all sin. No sinful thoughts. No sinful words. No sinful deeds. All love for God. All enjoyment of God. All satisfaction in God. You are completely and utterly miserable right now no matter how, what state you are in compared to that state. Nobody's imagined what is coming for us. But we have a question for sanctification too if you want to memorize that one. It's number 35. What is sanctification? Sanctification, notice the difference, is the work of God's grace. The ongoing work in our lives whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to what? Die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Be enabled more and more to repent as He reveals things that need to be different in our lives. We, ways we're not like Jesus. Thankfully, He don't drop, drop the whole truck on us at once. But let me, ta- let me ask you a question. How do you, how do you know that you were loved in eternity past? Well, the way you know that is because you've been loved in the present. God has called you through His gospel to faith in His Son. And you are trusting in His Son for your salvation. Your hope is in Him. You don't have a perfect faith. There's days you doubt and days you don't, right? We're growing in faith just like everything else, Lord willing. But if God has worked any love for Christ in you, that's an evidence of the Spirit's work in you. If God has worked faith in you, that's an evidence of God's work in you. You know your love because you've been called and justified and glorified. Well, you'll, be, you'll be loved in eternity future. Let's just go ahead and, and bring that out too. We mentioned that this word glorified can speak of a glory that's happening in the present. But again, it will be finished. So glorification will be perfected. We will be eternally in a perfect love relationship with God when He finishes His work in us. See, the past tense is used here. You might have noticed that. The past tense is used here for glorified. And that's just proclaiming the surety of it as though it had already happened. Because we know that Christ has been glorified. And look back at verse 29. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. If He's been glorified, His people will be glorified. He will finish the work that He's begun. God will finish His work of grace in your life. All 
that has been predestined will be accomplished. You have, if you're coming to faith in Christ, you have been called, you have been justified, you are being glorified, and that process will be finished. That's true for everyone whom he foreknew. And you will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth in a perfect, intimate love relationship with your Creator forever because of Christ and His love for you to come and live for you and die for you and be raised for you and be reigning for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God has sacrificed His Son and He commands all people everywhere to repent. End of Acts 17. Go read it. Have you repented? Are you trusting in Jesus? Then these promises are for you. He will work all things together for the good. He is shaping you into the image of Christ according to His purpose. And He will finish the work. And listen to me. If you're not in Christ this morning, repent and trust Jesus. You have no excuse for not doing so. Turn to Him and trust in Him. And He will forgive you of all of your sins. And He will clothe you in His righteousness. And He will make you a child of God. Yes, you will struggle in this life. But you'll struggle in faith and in growing faith as you walk with Jesus and follow Him. It's one of the reasons I'm on you to read the Word. So that you will know Him and know who you are and know His salvation and walk in the confidence He would have you have. But this, this application I'm going to give you right here is for the child of God. It's for the one trusting in Jesus. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you just a little bit. Now, I already did it a little bit. But the first application is, is something that you must do. Let God be God. You're not qualified. You're not equipped. You don't know enough. You're not powerful enough to be God. Look at me. Stop trying to tell God whom He should save and rest in the fact that He has saved you. See, I'm trying to shake us. I'm trying to get us to stop. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths, Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. See, when we first come to embracing the doctrines of God's sovereignty, our, our comments are like, yeah, well, why not them? And why not them? Well, first of all, you don't know not them. Are they still breathing? But as you marinate in this and mature in this, you begin to think, I think there's a song too. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? Nothing. You didn't do anything. You don't deserve this. It's a gift of grace. You were dead and He made you alive. He saved you. Rest in Him. Let Him run the universe. Pray to Him. Care. Witness. All of that. But rest all of the God stuff with God. And rest your soul in His grace. Because apart from His grace, apart from Him foreknowing you before the foundation of the world, you would have never turned to Him in this life. And if you think you would have, you just don't understand. You need to read more Bible. You need to understand the the depravity of man, what Paul means by being dead in sin. 
what Jesus means by the one who loves wickedness, hates the light, and will not come to the light. We saw it in chapter 3 of Romans. There is none who understands. None does good. Not even one. So look at me. I fought with this stuff too. I didn't like this stuff when I first heard it. I had all kinds of reasons why not to believe it. But then once, once I embraced it, somebody else had this testimony this week. Once they sort of understood the doctrine of election, they said, now I'm seeing it everywhere in the Bible. You know why? It's everywhere in the Bible when it's rightly understood. So first application is stop trying to be God. Let God be God. Rest your soul in Him. That's why we're given this understanding. Not to fight about it, but to rest our hope in our Savior, Savior God. So therefore, stop trying to be God and rest in His love. He loved you in eternity past. Think about it. Stop. Stop. Think about that. That's amazing, isn't it? Before I was ever born, before I had done anything good or bad, before you fill it in, He set His love upon me. You can confess your own sin, but I did not deserve that. I was running from him as hard as I could. But see, this will give you peace. It wasn't your idea. God intentionally saved you. He intentionally gave you to his son before the foundation of the world. He intentionally sent his son, and Jesus intentionally came. And when he was on that cross, all that high priest dress, you were on his heart. Not just this vague mass of people. He knew every one of his sheep. He tells us that in John 10. And he laid down his life for us. And he works in us so that we know him. So let God be God and rest in his love. He loved you in eternity past and gave you his son. His son lived for you and died for you and was raised for you. And he brought you to faith in his son. He called you, remember? You are his He will finish His work. Listen, if you're really trusting in Jesus this morning, He didn't just start loving you, and He will never stop loving you. And if you'll rest your hope in His grace, you'll stop feeling saved on the good days and lost on the bad days. Because in comparison to... Listen, I don't want to bust your bubble, but in comparison to Jesus' perfect obedience, every one of your days are a bad day. You're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace, Jerry Bridges said, but you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of His grace. So rest in His love. He'll never stop loving you. And from that standpoint, you can look back and have confidence. You can know He's going to work everything together for good. You can have confidence in His joy. Listen to me, no matter who you are, every one of your days were written in His book before there was one. And He gave you to His Son before the foundation of the world. And His Son came and lived and died and was raised for you and is reigning for you and is coming again. And He's going to finish that work. He started in you. You're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And now, listen, if you're trusting in Jesus, it's not that you won't have trials. Sometimes you'll have very deep and confusing trials. But the promise is that every one of them now has to work for you. Every trial. He takes you through, will be used by Him to make you more like Jesus. Joy, grief, 
everything in between chisels away something that doesn't look like Jesus. He will conform you, verse 29, into the image of His Son. Rejoice, therefore, in your sufferings. Not in, it in particular in isolation, but in the knowledge that all of your suffering now will be used by Him to grow you in grace. Paul says that in, in Romans 5.3. We've seen it. We rejoice in our sufferings. See, if you're confident... Listen to me. Look at me. If your confidence is in God's sovereignty and the God who the true God of the Bible, you can rejoice in the midst of your suffering without thinking it's because you did something wrong. You can know that He's with you in the midst of it and that He will milk from it every drop of Christ's likeness that He intends to milk from it. All of your trials must work for you now to conform you into the image of Christ. So as James says, count it all joy when you face various trials. When life is hard, have a hallelujah fit. Not because you enjoy suffering, but because you know He's in the middle of it with you and will make it work for you. And make, it, make you like Jesus. Without an understanding of God's sovereignty, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you make it. I don't know how you breathe again. That's how precious it's become. But mainly because what does the Word say? The Word says, He's God. He's in control. He's saving His people. And if you're trusting Christ, you're one of them. And you can know, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. Notice it doesn't say, I consider that the suffering of this present time will go away if I'll just do something about it. We suffer here. We suffer deeply here sometimes. But in comparison to the glory that's coming, it will fade into the background. See, if you're trusting in Jesus, this glory is guaranteed for you. Not because of your daily performance, but because of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection and reign for you. Because of God's grace that's been applied to you and because of the work He will finish in you. He's not going to leave you with a flat tire halfway through your journey. Now, He might if you're driving in a car. I'm talking about your journey to the new heavens and new earth. But if he does, there's somebody to witness to and there's some growing you need to do in, on, that, on that road. See, God's going to finish His work in you. It's guaranteed. All those whom He foreknew, just skip on to the end. He glorified. Are you trusting in Christ this morning? See, we're going to see as we move on in chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from His love. Look at me. Nothing can separate. If you're in Christ, nothing can separate you from His love. You can't separate you from His love. The world can't separate you from His love. If you're in Jesus, you're there because of God. He caused you to be born again, Peter says. So nothing can separate you from His love. Therefore, flee to and dwell in your safe room. The safe room of God's sovereignty. The, the, the room in which it might not fully explain your trials to you, but it'll make sense of them in that you know He's sovereign over them and He's using them to make you more like Jesus. Repent of your sin 
trust in Jesus as a believer or especially, you know, unbeliever too. Repent today. Begin that life of repentance. But if you're trusting Jesus this morning, you were loved in eternity past. You are loved right now. And you will be loved perfectly forever. The only way that's true is if God is sovereign. I'll close with a quote from Thomas Schreiner from his commentary. Believers are assured that God works everything for good because the God who set His covenant love on them predestined them to be like His Son, called them effectually to Himself and justified them will certainly glorify them. All the sufferings and afflictions of the present era are not an obstacle to their ultimate salvation, but are the means by which salvation will be accomplished. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will cast all of our confidence on You. That we will trust You as our sovereign God. Yes, in general, over all things, causing them to work together for good. But in specifics, Lord, and especially in the specific of our salvation, we know that you caused us to be born again, that you turned the lights on, that you brought the gospel into our lives at the exact right time for each one of us. You foreknew us. You predestined us. You called us, you justified us, and you will glorify us, and you will get all the glory for it because it is your work of grace in our hearts and lives. I pray for those who don't know you, Lord. Listen to the live stream, here in person, recording, don't know. But just pray that those would be um, challenging words to those who don't know you, that they would not be proud in their unbelief, but would be concerned about it. And that you would bring them to conviction of sin and, 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 and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ according to your will, Father. And for those of us who know you, help us to rest in you. Help us to entrust Godness to you and to rest in your grace and your love and therefore live with this peace that passes understanding in the midst of our trials. Nothing comes into our lives that doesn't come through your fatherly love and care. We don't understand all that, Lord. Some things are very deep. But you are with us in them. You are for us in them. You are glorifying us through them or sanctifying us through them. And you will finish the work. So help us if we know you to rest in you. And if we don't know you, to repent and trust in you. To believe the good news that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve condemnation from you. But you have sent your Son that we might repent of our sins and trust Him. I pray that we would do that. And we would rest in it if we know you. Bless us and help us to share the good news of the gospel with those around us that that this Savior is real. This salvation is real. 
You can be forgiven for everything you've ever done, thought, or said and made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to witness. Help us to share with our children. Help us to encourage one another with it and to walk arm in arm, yes, with you and with one another in confidence in our sovereign God that we were predestined to glory. We give you all the praise. Salvation is of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.